Welcome back to the Bat Cave, fellow Cape Crusaders. This is Batman Returned. I'm your host, Charlie Ashby, and alongside me is just the pussy I'm looking for. It's Orton Diaz. <laughs> you know, pussy in the Batman movie. Uh, I'm excited to revisit this one. Are you, though? I am uh, in the same way that you're excited to like dissect something in high school. Where it's a tinge of like really not okay and macabre, but then also like there's some value. Nice. Uh, well, yeah. Speaking of which, uh, last week we did Batman '89, the first of the Tim Burton movies. This time, Tim Burton's back. We or uh, well, today's commentary will be Tim Burton's 1992 film, Batman Returns. Alden, what are your thoughts of this movie at the moment? You know, it's interesting because. People that are listening here on on your Patreon to Batman Returned will obviously see that the show was named for this movie, and it's because the genesis of us talking about Batman. Obviously, we've known each other for a long, long time. We both love comics, but specifically the idea of revisiting these movies was because of this one, and it's because I have always regarded it as a Tim Burton movie first and a Batman movie second. This has all of the... Simil- you know, the aesthetic choices of the first film of 89, but cranked up to a level that is almost detrimental to the piece. Like this is less atmospheric and more how much can he get away with in the context of, you know, early 90s Warner Brothers. I think that if this came out now, you know, especially with how spoiled we are with like the multiverse that they're doing right now, I'd be like, oh, a Burton Batman. OK, that's one take. But I think growing up, I was like, man, those two are just weird. And it's definitely because of this one. That's interesting, because my point of view, as you well know, one of the reasons why it led to that sort of discussion is that this is my favorite Batman film of all time. Yes. In terms of the live action. Um, I think the reason is just growing up, I was always drawn to this film. But I don't know what it is, though. I, I always love films of a certain style obviously this is again like you said tim burton's batman so it's definitely got his sensibilities and direction and style it's very Mm burton-esque but also it's got these nice little flourishes like the fact that it's at christmas right there's no specific i mean obviously that we'll delve into the whole capitalism of it all and how that's in my opinion the main villain of the film right um which was a huge draw in our in our you know idea to revisit all of these was I was just thinking of it very much in terms of my memory of it, in terms of its place in our culture. And we'll talk about this stuff, how this movie, for better and for worse, uh, altered the studio direction for this property, um, how the reaction you know, of families in America was so poor, even though it wasn't a failure by any means. But, you know, the, the McDonald's controversy and all that stuff. But it was you that was like, no, 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 no. The, the capitalism... Uh, and patriarchy and and mental health and all the stuff imbued in this. It might be Burton's deepest piece. I think so, yeah, for sure. And especially like you just said, like if if you think about Batman Returns, if you think about the poster, you've got the, the core poster, you've got Batman's face, Penguin, Catwoman. And to anyone else watching this, it's like, okay, there are two villains this time. Here they are. We're going to have even more villains to deal with. In my opinion, none of the none of the villains are on that um, poster. Yes, Catwoman and the Penguin are both villains in terms of what villains are. But I feel like the main villain of the piece, the thing that sort of corrupts everything and 
affects all three of those characters it's capitalism Mm -hmm. uh it's the it's the patriarchy it's the way things are compared to what they should be and we and we see it in different ways in the film which is really intriguing and again it's not sometimes it's out there sometimes it's not i think quite frankly so he's very in your face with it Mm -hmm. which is good but obviously some people don't feel that way and i'm just interested to see if that sort of now with that view set when you're watching this film it'll change your mind perhaps or maybe it won't and that's interesting to me absolutely and and like with 89 it's been years since i've seen this i couldn't tell you how many but i know it's been years and it's interesting because you know i I talked about you know the real life implications of this movie and, and how it changed the business a little bit but also just creatively you know the tones and the devices that this movie laid down arguably even more than 89 the two villain formula which was aped a thousand times from this movie onward by dc marvel all manner of comic book films this was the movie that set that up in a big bad way and it also you know it's an interesting case of authorship and looking back on something now that i'm older now that i have the beliefs that i have now that i you know can do close reading and after taking you know film classes literature classes things like that it's going to be interesting to see how it holds up especially because like you said you know overt or not these capitalistic uh antagonists you know like max shrek and and just the aura of capitalism in this gotham because burton only made two you know you can look at these films as a one-two punch and the first film you know you and i talked a lot about how the system of organized crime creates men like jack napier and how they feed off of it and succeed and it's like well you would think that you know maybe business non-mafia would be pure but no not in gotham and especially not in burton's gotham so it's almost like two sides of the same coin yeah and much like comic books in general like the way that the patriarchy and uh the way we view uh, how people look the way we view how people act um is turned up a dial particularly in this because it is a comic book movie it is more out there (laughs) than the real world shall we say so stuff like you know penguin and just in general He's sent on that path out of rejection and hate. And again, we'll delve into this in a second, but you know, he looks like that. Yes. It's ridiculous. But at the same time, it's supposed to be a example of probably how he's feeling and the hatred that was bestowed upon him just because he looked different to what we conceive to be normal. Right. Um, so are you ready? I am ready here on uh, the HBO max version. No, I've got the Blu-ray version. Um, if you haven't, if you didn't listen to our last episode, um, I recommend doing that because it's pretty fun. But what we're going to be doing is we we start at zero 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 zero. So right at the beginning, the Warner Brothers logo should be the first thing to pop up, and we'll do three, two, one, and then after one, where go would be, we'll click. Um, actually, I'll just say go as well. Why not? Fuck it. Um, you ready? I am ready. <laughs> okay, three. Two, one, go. Alrighty. That beautiful theme again. That's great. And immediately, uh, the snowfall adds an element. Like, if you saw this when it came out, I'm sure you had a thought of, oh, like, there's already a very distinct visual element. 
I also really love the soundtrack for this film. I feel like Elfman doubled on it. Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, I forgot about Paul Rubens. It's actually really good casting for his father. I think so. And he returns in Gotham. Now that's true. Forgot about that. I, and again, shout out to to that version of, of Oswald. I think that he's great in that. Look at this design, this set. Look how opulent it is. And just like how Burton is able to build up the horrific uh, imagery without without showing, you know. See, you see the parents like obviously dealing with the trauma of, of what's been seen, and uh, it's uh, you know it's hard. And you see the way the doctor reacted. <laughs> that poor cat. Again, it's a theme of cats and penguins in this film. And again, at this point, even though we haven't seen Oswald, and even though we haven't seen any of the heroics or, or villainy quite yet, I mean, this is villainy, but just with these two parents, uh, there's already that Burton element cranked up. You know, the, they're, they feel more heightened than the Gothamites in 89. I mean, look at that, between that sort of fairly lovely couple with a white pram, mm-hmm. and then you've got the cobblepots dressed all in black, black pram, and they're about to murder their child, or hoping to. And instead of like just abandoning him at an orphanage or something, no, they go all the way and to drown him. It's, it's a really good way to set up an inherent uh, sympathetic quality to this Oswald, even though he is, I think, the most monstrous interpretation. You know, a lot of people listening to this show will know he normally doesn't have uh, the actual physical attributes of the, you know, the monstrous looking penguin here with the flipper hands and things like that. He's normally just a, a heavy set mobster, but it's a good contrast. Again, of the amazing intros that we don't see anymore. Nope. And yeah, like you said, like we're to assume that the Cobblepots, I think later on we see a bit more about their history. Like he goes to visit their graves. Got away with it. <laughs> yep. They threw their baby into a fucking river on Christmas in the freezing cold. And they would, what? Live their life in opulency. God damn, this film is great. It's perfect. And again, like the original film and this one serving as companion pieces to each other, the original opening is, you know, we're moving through the bat symbol, but we don't realize it yet. And we're entering his world. And that movie is so much about entering his world. You know, your favorite sequence in any comic book movie is, you know, Vicky Vale actually being taken into the world of Batman through the forest and the, through the cave. This is contrast to both of those things. We're moving through the sewers and and we're witnessing a descent into a much darker world and the creation of a much darker man than even Bruce. Absolutely. And I feel like what's important as well is that while we sort of like guffaw and laugh at the weirder elements, the fact that he hangs out with like this circus crew 
and also the penguins themselves, they do look after him. Yeah. And they do treat him with respect. <laughs> Despite being literally birds, they treat him with more tenderness and care than his actual parents. And I guess now would be a good time to just sort of, I want to ask you, what are your feelings just conceptually about this uh, much more literal, much more uh, macabre, gross version of Penguin? Where, where does he rank for you? Or do you prefer maybe a middle of the road, like the Arkham Games Penguin? Or do you like a more straight criminal? I think it depends on the context of the story being told. Um I'm perfectly okay with the comics character changing from each side. Sometimes he appears in books to be a bit monstrous. Sometimes he appears to be just your, you know, generic gangster. But again, I, I, it depends on the story being told. Um, for the Batman, obviously, it makes sense for him to be just a normal gangster. Right. In this case, he's in a he's an exaggerated reflection of what people put on him. Mm-hmm. Look at that! What a beautiful mat shot. It's great. And I I love this logo that you know that we see throughout. Yeah, the Shrek logo, which appears in uh, the Arkham games as well. Hmm. Oh, I didn't catch it in those. Again, I love uh, Burton's Gotham and the extra setting with Christmas. Just you know, it's, yeah, it's great. I'm a huge, huge fan and defender of Iron Man three. And this movie walked, so that movie could run as a Christmas comic book film. Absolutely. And there's such an element like with this, like, oh, like an obvious, like, let's get a, a sexy model character and dress her up like a Santa um, and, and show the citizens like the tree lighting. Like, it's such a let's try to polish a turd of a city like let's dress it up add some lights and act like we don't have problems again it's the capitalism thing again look these people are going out shopping it's christmas time there's the massive christmas tree it's just everything we see in real life as well i look at the buildings and such good on you alfred This is the only city where it's probably good to read the rags, the Inquirer, outlandish papers. <laughs> now, has Max Shrek uh, been adapted into other media since this? Probably. I don't think so in the comics as much, but... Because it was interesting, because this movie also was probably still to this day one of the only prominent ones to create a villain for a film. What a monstrous character he is. Uh, and Pfeiffer is just, she's delivering such a great performance already. I know, Michelle Pfeiffer is incredible in this film, and I'll talk about that a bit more in depth, but she is yeah. exceptional. Her body language is. I remember she I've always maintained that she's the best part of this movie. Uh, and now that I'm older, just and picking up on like so many acting things, like just watching her on the side of the frame and how in it she is and how timid and she's great.
a suggestion from a, a woman? Look at the mayor giving her a day. It's just, oh God, these men. It's what I'm talking about, the patriarchy. Cat joke. <laughs> we chuckle at you. Oh. And this isn't uh, written in terms of it just being generic sexism. This is pointed towards her character development. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's such a such a Bond-esque set as well. It is. And, you know, it's perfect that you bring up Bond because we see throughout the mythology of James Bond. I mean, obviously you're way more well-versed in it than I am. I haven't even seen all of the 20 plus Bond films, but there's an element with James throughout the adventures that uh, he's almost at his most like at comfort when he meets an equal, Uh, you know, characters like I I know I've seen you tweeting lately about, about Vesper and things like that. Um, When she gets to interact with Bruce in this movie, Bruce sees her for better and for worse as an equal, unlike these men. And they are a mirrored image. Yeah. And that, 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 you know, in the same way that we saw with Vicky, how he found some comfort, he finds comfort in Selena and she sees this man not treat her that way, even though they are adversarial. And it's, it's an interesting dynamic. It's very interesting because they treat each other. They see in each other the same thing. They're both putting on the mask, except the mask isn't Batman or Catwoman. That's who they are deep down. That's who they've become. Not for their own will. They didn't want to be Batman or they didn't want to be Catwoman. They were forced to be that way just because of what happened to them. Right. And they're broken. And that's what this film, I really love about this film is that it's kind of like a depressing love story between two broken people who probably can't be together. Yeah, and and it's interesting that we talk about how Burton's Penguin is known to be such a different take. But even throughout the history of Catwoman, this take, you know, retroactively stands out as being different. Most people do not write in uh, an origin for her in this way. Most people don't write in a, is she, you know, is she losing it mentally? Is is she cracking? Is she, you know, she's often way more portrayed on the criminal side of things, you know, obviously cat burglar and the Catwoman identity sort of just becomes something she crafts, not something she is. And this might be the closest Selena we get to a Batman type character. I think this is what's important about this film as well. Just sorry. is um, the scene just here where if you look at Selena by herself, she actually is a confident woman. She's pushed down by the fear and the sort of, you know, the, horrible sort of patriarchy in terms of like Shrek and the businessmen. And he just said there, remind me to take it out on her. What's her name? Yeah. Yeah. And then he's claiming to be from the lower down depths of the poor and, you know, who gained his way up for the system and wants to be this political, you know, mastermind. Have we seen that before anywhere? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the same, it's the crap we see all the time in real life. And it's also just, the overall cap, I mean, even if there was nothing happening right now uh, in the US and the UK, um, in terms of that type of demagogue figure, the idea of like, you too can be like me, I worked hard, like, it, it's it's an oversimplification that capitalists always use to keep people in line. This is another thing I want to bring up. People always comment on Batman Returns being too dark. 
But I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I mean, look at this. This is pretty fun. Yeah, there's it's it's definitely grim in terms of imagery, obviously with Penguin, and like the design choices are definitely decidedly more dark than even eighty nine. And Batman kills more people in this one than he does in eighty nine, more overtly. Uh, but it's I don't know. It's still a silly. It has a camp to it that you're not going to escape. I mean. They definitely feel like it's, again, it's a comic book movie. Yeah. And that's what I think. Uh, this is why I love this film more than, say, other things. Like, oh, Sorry, I have to shut up because this thing is amazing. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> this contraption he's built in Wayne Manor is just the best. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, he's like, I have to do my reading at this chair. <laughs> that way it can find me. <laughs> What a shot. Yeah, and this new entrance to the Batcave is awesome. They stepped up to the stage. Do you remember the entrance? I do. I do actually remember that. It's great. I love this line. <laughs> Not the mayor. Shrek. Dad goal. <laughs> He's well cast to be his son. Batmobile, awesome. You got to wonder if, you know, just in-world, you know, we don't talk as much about in-world Gotham citizens uh, in film. Do you think that the citizens of Gotham, like Shrek, as this is happening right now, think this is the return of the Joker or something? Um. It depends, because obviously there's been a bit of a time jump yeah, between both films. So I just like to assume that maybe the crazies... Like Joker was the star, as we mentioned last time. And right. the, the way that Gotham reacts to Batman is reflected in the criminals. Right. So I just assume a lot, a lot of stuff has happened since then. Yeah, I mean, perhaps he's fought, you know... A, a different villain or, or something like that. We don't know exactly how much time has passed. I, that's what I assume, yeah. I'm trying to remember, do we get the a good shot of the redesigned suit? Because I do want to talk about that. Because I think that this suit is an improvement. I have to wait for him to step outside. But. The car looks so much better in the snow. I don't it know does. if you play Arkham Knight. Um, I did. Whenever I wanted to put that game on, in the post-DLC, the Gotham's snowing, and you could just drive around in the Batmobile. Before you say anything, it's light to medium burns, okay, my friend? They're dead. <laughs> oh, he's dead. He little old man. <laughs> he should have been blown fire. Oh, that guy's so dead. Oh, I love this. Oh, with the uh, taser. Yeah. Yeah, he's got the armored chest piece now that looks less rubbery. He has armor. Such a Batman move. Oh, it's so good. That's straight out of the Arkham games too, or vice versa. I don't know. Ask Matt Reeves. He put a the in front of it. 
it's the thing about Selena here that she's very um she's by herself she is very you know open but she still attacks herself as like, what men sort of thing like she's very like not secure on herself mm-hmm. which is why again she takes the taser her clothing is very mute yeah she doesn't really seem sexualized or but she is if that makes sense and you could see right there like the, the even the experimenting with the taser for that one moment is a a moment of release for her like it no one's attempt to get it. some power back yeah no one saw it it doesn't matter it doesn't affect anything but it's a moment of like screw you like and and she she you could see like she kind of laughs to herself like oh my like feels out of line for her but she enjoyed it and and you could see how much she enjoyed seeing batman you know she was flustered and looking for a connection you know she talks to him she doesn't scream she's not intimidated How many of those um, <laughs> vent traps do you think he had to make? Uh, right. I look, I love a good sweeping shot. Like this is the sort of thing that Gotham thinks is fun. I unironically just love the real penguins. They're great, aren't they? They're just wonderful. And they're just a great animal in general. The thing is, well, with Cobblepot, he isn't that grotesque looking. Retrospectively. Not not overall. I mean, we've definitely seen grosser characters in comic book films and overall, but it's the the attitude, the voice, the look, and the actions. He does gross things. I mean, he grew up in the sewers, to be fair. I love the, the just the dialogue in this film. Oh, poetic justice. <laughs> and DeVito really commits, man. I love the umbrellas. The thing is, in terms of like a rich family and stuff, Copperpot is no different to Shrek, but he still looks down on him. Yeah, and that's They're both monsters that I, in their own way. It's something that I love in terms of like the history of Gotham and the families that, especially modern Batman comics, have gone out of their way to establish, like with Snyder and things like that. The the Cobblepots and the Waynes and these families that shaped this city, but they shaped them in positive ways and for the Cobblepots in negative ways and that they're all products of this place. And you can, you can infer and even apply some of that here to Shrek and assume that he's old money and that maybe he had a role in that too. (laughs) Now, it's interesting. Let's let's get into the head of, of Tim Burton a little bit here, you know, during this introductory scene. You know, Batman 
89 obviously takes over the world. I mean, everyone that was around back then talks about how it was, you know, the biggest summer since Star Wars and how it was just like this insane phenomenon. So at this point, he has the keys to the kingdom. He can do anything. He could take any tool from the Batman, you know, toolbox that he wanted, any toy. And he goes with Penguin, you know, someone who hadn't been depicted since Burgess Meredith in the 60s. And uh, do you think that that was the best possible choice for the story that he's telling here versus maybe yes. following up on Harvey or something like that? I think so. Mainly because of like what, what he's saying right here. The idea of, you know, taking this horrible, this horrible, this horrible man here in terms of Shrek and Penguin and, you know, a bit of Catwoman in terms of like, what Burton does the best is, is looking at the outsider versus the norm in quotation marks and how sometimes the outsider, as we perceive them, shouldn't be the weird, they aren't the weird ones, it's the norm that we call the norm as you know the weirdness like like he's saying here like he's pointing out a fact shrek wants to make a whole bloody power plant in gotham Mm -hmm. like penguin's not wrong here no he's 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 completely in the right which I think might have been a first for comic book films at this point. I mean, Jack Napier Joker certainly was not. Uh, General Zod was not. Luthor, none of his appearances. You know, this is the first, you know, Burton can sort of say that he laid the groundwork for the villain that had a point. Exactly. Like, he's, he's, he's admitting basically he's murdered someone. Like Shrek is actively getting away with murder just because he's rich. Oh, have you, does that happen in real life, Alden? Certainly never. Certainly there has never been anyone. And that's what I think Penguin's great at. He's a good... He's actually disgusting look in terms of like the grotesque version amplifies the fact that actually we're supposed to look at him and go, oh, he's disgusting because of the way he looks when actually Shrek is the one who is gross. This is a great burn shot, okay? Watch this, the way Selena comes in, right? The way it's framed. And then we'll keep that in mind for later on because they do the exact same shot. Oh, when she returns home? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought about that. She's got a book on houseplants. <laughs> Burton was going to do Ivy confirmed. Oh, <laughs> See, look, like she's she's projecting her sexual, uh, her sexual her sexuality onto other things. So she jokes about her lack of sexuality, and she jokes about the cat and how it's probably getting more than her. Yeah. See, look, like she's being down on herself. This is a a life just that's been completely oppressed into almost thinking she deserves it. You know. I mean, look how our mum says. Hmm. 
<laughs> Let me ask you something, Charlie. Yeah. I don't want to date these episodes too much, but I do have to ask, and I think your your answer could be interesting. We're about to revisit this universe, which for you is probably the most exciting thing ever. Um, not about to. I mean, we got a little ways to go, but in the Flash film, which at the time of this episode is in early production, uh, we're going to see Keaton's Batman again. What are the odds that we see Michelle Pfeiffer as Selena, but older? I would love it if they're married. If they're married, that's exactly what I was thinking, like that they found peace or something. I would love that. But this is the, this is what I love. This is the scene which changes the direction of Selena's life. She all she did was not give him a speech, right? Yep. And it's it's the way he justifies it and what he does and it's just so gross and he tries it on and ugh. The incriminating files, of course. Yeah. And, you know, just thinking about the scene, obviously her timidness is elevating. You know, they're, they're working off of each other here, you know, two fantastic actors. But you don't think of Walken as an intimidating actor, but he does actually have an air of, you know, a sinister quality to him. Because you know where this is going. Exactly. Yeah. You can just immediately feel, even if you've never seen this before, you're like, she's going to be hit. She's going to be assaulted. She's going to get framed. Something bad is coming. And it's a good, it's a good way of um, using Selena to help explain it to the audience. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't come off like a terribly egregious uh, information dump. That chihuahua is terrifying. <laughs> oh. Standing up for herself, finally. <sighs> Such... Oh, man. Great shot. Very good. The death of Selena Carl. 
again, a lot of people would go all say, oh, so the cat's looker and she gets mystical powers now. It's like, that's not the point. <laughs> it's symbolism. It's a comic book movie. Yeah, I mean, the the whether or not it is literally death, whether or not it's mystical, whether or not it unlocked, you know, a part of her psyche or, or brought all her op- oppressed rage to the surface. I mean, there's a I think I think the movie leaves it open ended enough that you can take it however you choose. For the how I mean, it's cl- it, the why of it, yeah. obviously, the themes are are clear, but the how like, is it mystical? Are these cats mystical? I, I don't know. And I don't really care. I yeah, the mystical element is that she literally cannot die until she br- she gets justice for the like her whole her whole point of being as Catwoman is to bring down the patriarchy. It's not just Max; it's all these men who think that they can literally get away with murder. Yeah, and again, like and, uh, it, the movie doesn't need to stop and explain the magic of this her is it. being alive. That, that reflective shot. Yeah, it's great. It's a, this... And she's like half dead. Could you imagine though if this came out now, the discourse about how she survived? I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? The Batman mythology is such that those things are possible. I mean, the Nolanization of Batman has made people forget that in a lot of ways, but some of his key villains are people like, you know, Ra's al Ghul and things like that. So it it doesn't, it tracks. And she's rightfully angry now. Her lashing out is because it's a mental break. Yeah. All she was trying to do was, you know, her not just her job, but just exist. And she she was harming no one. And she she's a victim. She can't even get away her. from. She can't even get away from Shrek because he literally owns everything. Yeah. By the way, Danny Elfman's uh, it's theme wonderful. for Catwoman. It's it's wonderful, but it's, it's so heartbreaking. This is her literally killing her innocence. Yep. And, you know, the rejection of not, you know, that that last message, yes, but then also her mother and how, you know, the un- the unappreciated life, you know, she's destroying it. And there you go. Family, you know, memories. This entire scene is just symbol after symbol after symbol. It's so well done. And Michelle Pfeiffer is incredible. And you know, a, a normal, a normal person, or even a you know a pet in real life, we know that if we were destroying our places, uh, they would run away, they would react, they would whimper and cry. But Burton just has these cats just pop up throughout the scene. You give them a little close up here and there, and they just they watch her almost like, yes, yes, like this is who you are. The cats are silently encouraging. By the way, that. The neon lights with the hello there into the hell here is so yeah. good. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's great stuff. And the way that Selena takes perhaps the most um, sexualized item that she owned, or like you know, like she got to be herself, I guess. Like she bought when she bought this jacket. Yeah. Um, she's literally 
cutting it up and then stitching it back together with visible stitching, which is such a great metaphor for her life. She's been ripped apart and now she's trying to put it back together, but it will never be the same. And that's her issue. And that's Bruce's issue. Exactly. But, but she embraces it in a way that I think that Bruce almost is jealous of, even though he would never admit it. I think that Bruce Wayne's, you know, the bat suit should be full of stitches all over, but Bruce refuses to dance on that line in the same way that Selena does. You know, Selena swan dives into that territory, into that uh, personal ambiguity and that, that transformative state. You know, she feels think, liberated by Catwoman in a way that Batman does not feel liberated by being Batman. I think it, yes, but to a point, actually, because I don't think she enjoys being. I think it's kind of a torture, the fact that she she's liberated. But, oh, fuck, that's so cool. That's great. Yummy. Just her line delivery is wild. It's so good. <laughs> she's so hot. <laughs> <laughs> just say it. <laughs> yeah, there's a scene later on in the film, which is one of the things I like about it, and the split between Bruce and Selena. But she really doesn't like like being how she is, and that's kind of heartbreaking. I feel that it's the same with Bruce, but they they both can't stop. That's the point. Yeah, they love that line. <laughs> it's horrifying. Like, if you're watching this for the right? first time as a child or something, like, I understand. I mean, I touched on it earlier. I mean, famously, this movie was a an image problem for Warner Brothers that they realized that they gave Burton the keys to do whatever he wanted. And then suddenly, like advertisers and partners like McDonald's are like, we have to sell Happy Meal toys of this. Uh, and they're like kidnapping babies and people are getting their faces bitten. And there's. Oh, come on. Let's be fair. Like they're kidnapping the baby, but that's just fake kidnapping. Seems like something the president uh, would do. God. I've kidnapped the baby. <laughs> I just saved it. The uh, the undergarment that he wears, the onesie, Oswald, it, I, it always weirded me out. It's such a creepy outfit. It is. The grown-up baby clothes. He's still the damaged baby. I love the shots of Wayne Manor, the way Burton does it, the way he frames both Alfred and Bruce. It's a very empty house. Like the little cravat shirt. And also, I guess the reflection there is that the reason why Oswald did that was because it's the one, th it's the reflection of what happened to him. He was taken away from his parents and he right. saved the child this time. Yeah, he's, he's correcting it, but he can't correct it legitimately. Like, it's not like he's actually saving a child. He can only correct it through his perverted lens, through his. And he's kind of a reflection of Bruce as well. Right, which, I, yeah, this scene right here, I mean, people are watching along with us. The Bruce looking at him, 
this is another child of wealth and privilege born of this city, but he didn't come up, you know, he came up also through tragedy, but not through the same amount of choice, not through the same choices, like not with a companion like Alfred, not creating the Batman identity. You know, Oswald was born with this appearance. He doesn't get to choose and turn it off and become a regular cobblepot. And it's the same with Bruce. Bruce is, for all intents and purposes, this billionaire with all the money in the world, this house, this butler. But he isn't. Yeah, It's just the mask. It's, it's nothing to him. And you have to wonder at that moment, you know, with this Bruce Wayne, if he immediately knew that this was bad news. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The constant emphasis, again, of, of not just of the setting of Christmas, adding a visual element, but the characters bringing it up like the mayor did there. Like, this is a time of healing. Oh, yes, it is. It is indeed. And then, you know, give it a rest. It's Christmas. Like, these characters, Oswald and Selena, are getting their healing. And it's going to be at the detriment of everyone else. But this is their coming out party. It is deliverance. You know, for Selena, the Catwoman identity is a gift of sorts. Can we just talk about this back cave again? It's and it's, Bruce Wayne's look. So good. Grace Detective. <laughs> it's a great line. It's a great time. I love that line too. He's looking into it, but he doesn't want there to be an issue. Of course. He doesn't get joy from it. No, he's not. I don't interpret Bruce in these movies, Keaton's Bruce, as the driven, like, uh, animalistic, almost, you know, obsessive Batman that we see. I mean, he's obsessive in his own ways, but not like Christian Bale's where he's like a, a force, you know, just propelling forward. He would like it if there was not a situation. Yeah. He has to do it still. But he, he'd rather there be no crime or, you know, worries. What a great shot again. I feel like all the best shots in the first film in terms of like the comic booky like shots, like I mentioned, like I love that into mystery. This film does ten times 
that light reflecting the heavenly glow What do you think he knows of the Cobblepots and of his own origin? He must know, right? The idea is that he wants the money, right? Yeah, I guess. I just wonder, you know, was it his time? Like, growing up, did he investigate? Did he... What what was the cover story of the Cobblepots losing a child? You know, it's those things I'm curious about. They're not important for the narrative right now, but... The drama is so good. Yeah, if anything, it's to be like a sort of haunted reflection of Bruce. Yeah, yes, yeah, of the first film. And also just the again, way that people manipulate Gothamites is a is a, a trend throughout all Batman interpretations and in movies, and him putting on this show knowing that the press is right there. Love that line. There we go. (laughs) See? And again, like you said, it's very overt in its themes to not subtle at all, but it almost is working in its favor in some ways because... Oh, for sure. Because it's a comic book movie. Exactly. Like, this is a... You know, like, look at the way that the people in Gotham are speaking, you know, for him to say, like, you know, instead of five chubby digits, like that, that dramatic, you know, high school theater way of speaking fits the world. Yeah, for sure. So good. (laughs) This is so graphic, this the first scratch. Like, you can feel it. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> She's talking to herself. The flip away kills me. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I love Brutus' outfits in these films. Also, this whole conversation that's about to come up is great as well. The way he sort of just rejects Shrek. He's the anti-Shrek in a sense. Hmm. <laughs> 
again, the detective, he doesn't have to do it as just Batman. I love that line. Can we talk about this? This is so fucked up. Shrek murdered her. And you can see he's like, okay, this is weird. But look how much he's like, okay, this is fine afterwards. He just accepts it. (laughs) Meanwhile, Bruce. (laughs) (laughs) I love how she's more assertive and yeah, just the body language, the hair choice, you know, just the the metaphor of it being unleashed and 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 big and voluminous and <laughs> She's so good. Chip's confused. <laughs> He threw her out of a window. Nothing surprises me, Chip. And you can still insult her. It tells you, like, what has happened in this city historically that has colored his view on life in such a way that that doesn't doesn't even shake him. He's such a horrible shit. (laughs) You can smell that. <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. 
I love this. It's so disgusting. Oh, God, this scene. <laughs> oh, man. I love the poster designs to reflect the comic book, what we expect the penguin to be like. Right, right, exactly. Very similar to the Nicholson Joker having the helicopter design and logo. <laughs> Adulation is across the bag. God knows I know. eating a fish in front of these people. <laughs> oh, Josh. You're doomed, buddy. These people are such timber in characters. Absolutely. Jesus Christ. Again, the whole idea that the the norm as we see it in terms of elections and stuff is better. Right. And, and we have stuff like don't look like that. Yeah. Oh boy. Our voters think that you look better with fingers. Some people in the room don't even move. <laughs> well, he's the mayor. He wants to be the mayor. They gotta... <laughs> like, yep, okay, we've got to sell this. Again, he literally is a penguin man who came down the steps eating fish, bit the man's nose, and they're going to work to make him mayor. There's no, like in between and we see that in real life as well yes i mean it, that's what we saw here in america they they propped up something that they did not understand some something vastly underqualified something monstrous something you know documented to be grotesque start global cooling <laughs> see he's more progressive than trump he absolutely is You know, if, if Shrek is the is the classic villain who 
unleashes something much worse than even himself. You know, as he props up Oswald, Oswald becomes a cog in the machine. But he literally just referenced the Reichstag fire, so he's comparing himself to the Nazis. Poontang might be my favorite Batman line. How many kids do you think ask their mum what does unlimited Poontang mean? <laughs> That's the other thing. It's like they really I, I don't think that they did test screenings of this. They, there's no way they did. <laughs> there's no way an executive saw this until the premiere. Love it. He's just, he's just like, another day in the office. This is the Joker. He's like, this isn't even weird anymore. Yep. I also love uh, Keaton's physicality. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was limited as is Kilmer and Clooney by the suit of the time. They hadn't quite made it their mission to figure out the neck and everything yet. So... It's not my favorite Batman action. Like there are things like that, the ducking and spinning where I'm like, all right, it's a little, it's a little Adam Westy, but uh, it doesn't not fit these films, this context of this world. (laughs) I'm a big fan of this battering. I forgot about that. It's so cool. Again, another Arkham thing. Yes. And the CG isn't that bad. Is that an advertisement for NBC in Gotham? Oh, MBG. Brilliant. That's funny. Love that shot. Mm-hmm. The skipping along, the red. And the idea that Shrek's main symbolism is a giant cat, and she's here to take it down, is great. So Michelle Pfeiffer actually learned how to use the whip for this film. Oh, really? And um, I'll show you, I'll send you a link to a video, and I'll post it on the Patreon as well. Um, she can still use it. She still has the whip, and she can. She did the video of her finding it and then using it again. Oh, it's incredible. She must have had so much fun in this role. I also like the idea of her not just being... She's not burgling. She's dismantling every single operation that Shrek has. Which in this town is a lot of stuff. 
Right. <laughs> Bomb still ticking. <laughs> ah, nice Wilhelm scream. Good. I love this gif. <laughs> you think he's alive, Charlie? Yes. <laughs> the sewer, man. Anything could happen. The fuse could have been hit by snow. Uh, gas. <laughs> I love the uh, the classics of the Batman 66 stuff of like just naming things. Yeah. It fits the... Uh timelessness of the city their first introduction great it's a very good uh, reflection on politics and stuff in general and also the thing that's cool about you know the Batman Rogues Gallery is that there's the category of villain that has to fight with their mind, and then there's the category of villain that could actually take on Bruce Wayne. And the Jack Napier Joker can, to a certain extent. I mean, they do fight at the end, but Cobblepot would lose a hundred percent of the time, and so he is using the system. He's using legitimate systems, you know, which I said at the beginning. This is the other side of the coin introduced in Batman '89. And using legitimate systems poses a much different problem for Batman. Meow. <laughs> uh, seeing these three together. I also love that like, when I was talking about how good the script is, there's a line that Penguin says, which was direct, oh, the direct approach. I love that from a man in a mask. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Again, the, the, the umbrellas are ludicrous, but they make sense because it's, it's a comic book. This is the Gotham I love. This is such a great depiction of Gotham. The, the, you know, the smokestacks, the gothic, the snow. Oh, beautiful. No, their chemistry is so good. They're so incredible. <laughs> when he hits her, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Again, she's turning that on the head. The uh, the patriarchy that even Batman shows. Right. Oh, because she's a woman. No, she must be weaker. She's not as much of a threat. I should hold back. Now, so am I. Oh, good. That line is so good. <laughs> also, this film is just more dynamic visually than 89 in a big way. I mean, just those couple of years and the added money in the budget, we're seeing levels of Gotham, you know, uh, scenes move vertically as well as, you know, left to right. And it's not, it, yeah, it's sound stages and sets as well as the first, but 
it feels like a city that is has more volume, has is denser. Finding the weakness in the armor, great. It's a metaphor. It's the chink in the armor, but <laughs> she literally finds it. I love these elements as well, where it humanizes Bruce a little bit. He's still a dude in, in a costume. Ugh. No metaphor there. And again, what Catwoman says is the idea of, like, can you help find the woman behind the cat? Not really. Mm. Because she knows that even though in that first meeting, there's no chance for her and there's no chance for him. He dresses up as a bat. Says the penguin. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Oh, Jesus. so disgusting <laughs> I know a few people like that as well unfortunately and now Penguin's falling in love with the idea of the capitalistic approach right? which yeah. he later on rejects he's, yeah, he's, he's falling into it becoming part of it and <laughs> Unless I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure Michelle Pfeiffer actually put the bird in her mouth. Again, the patriarchy, even though he's a weird penguin man who grew up in the sewers, he's still, you know, is sexualized by Catwoman. (laughs) 
<laughs> that guy's so happy that he's got the plans for the Batmobile. <laughs> you know, it's a testament to this movie, I think, over uh, 89, at least for me personally, that I find myself just watching more than talking. Right. But but yeah, I think what I'm experiencing with, I mean, she's gold. I, I have no criticisms of her. Uh, criticisms of her character of her visual aesthetic or story i think my thing with the oswald cobblepot it's different than the jack napier joker i think that both of these are better for me personally better characters better fully fleshed out characters than joker uh, for this world but i think that oswald's thing is that uh i remain sympathetic for her and and he loses me with some of the choices and part of that is time and context like you know the groping women blatantly on screen that's not even implied and the and just you know he he sort of becomes a monster in his own ways and it's hard to remember that he's the shrek pawn when he's grosser than shrek and i think that some of that is burton losing the the man in the monster a little bit and it's a fine line i would say you're half right i think that he is a sympathetic character to an extent like when I say that um, Shrek is the main villain, I, I mean like capitalism in general. But Penguin is still he's sympathetic. He's sympathetic. He's a victim of the same thing, the same way Catwoman is. But he is a villain still. But whereas Catwoman, I feel like has a her personal story is much different to um. Absolutely, sorry, absolutely. I'm, I'm I just distracted by that shadow. Yeah, P- Penguin in Act One, though, uh, you know, meeting Shrek you're on board with him and you can see how he's going to become the pawn um, and, you know, gradually become unleashed and, and, you know, get elevated into more of the a villain status as it goes. But, you know, he's making all these right points and you're, you know, you feel for him. Uh, But there's a, you know, it's hard to tell sort of how much of it is this learned man that can manipulate and can grab onto things and how much of him is this just gross, perverse, uh, creature man, you know, this sexual deviant guy. Um, that stuff sort of just gets introduced without as much cause as his other traits, I feel. I still think that's a link to the patriarchy theme. That these people, like, even though he's a victim, he's still... There's what you can do with that victimized nature. Like, Bruce was victimized, but he goes out and saves people's lives. Oh, sorry. This this is a great bit of dialogue that sort of explains. She's just talking to herself. Why are you doing this? It's the same thing for all of these characters. Um, and Penguin is, while a victim, also a perpetrator of these uh, crimes in terms of a bit of the capitalism stuff we see later on, and him being a mayor. Then he gets rejected of that. But he's still part of that patriarchy in a negative sense. He still pushes himself on women. He still treats them as pawns. He's still... He sees Catwoman, doesn't see her struggle. Bruce sees her struggle. He sees her as a sexual object. They're basically talking to each other about (laughs) themselves, but hiding. And this is what I love about the film as well, is that it's building up. They're not even hiding it on purpose, but there's a moment later on in the film, which is my favourite f- moment in this film. Oh, there's, there's a few, but one of them, 
<laughs> Good point, Bruce. Um, there's a specific point in the motion where they both realize it, and it's both beautiful and very, very heartbreaking. Right, because that's the curse, really, of of Bruce Wayne is those, and Catwoman. Those, and the two and and her, but just him throughout his career. I mean, uh, be it with Vicky, be it you know, and and all iterations is that those realizations for him mean, you know, I have to put the job above this because he is Batman. You know, he's not Bruce Wayne. Because Selena is falling for Bruce and Bruce is falling, falling for Selena, but they're both masked still. They know deep down that they can't. They are Catwoman and Batman. And that's what's difficult about the relationship. And we'll see that develop a bit more, obviously, like I say. But, you know, this is just so good. Again, with the disrespecting women. I love this. I just love them two together. And I do truly believe that they belong together. And they debate that. But I... And it's complicated. Calling each other out is great. And also, you know, there's a the shared theme across both of Burton's movies of what does it mean when you add a third element to Wayne Manor, be it Vicky and now Selena. For for Bruce, this is the ultimate intimacy because it's the closest to what he maybe could have been if the Waynes had lived, to what he was robbed of. You know, he adds someone to this house, and it's you know, an actual living, breathing metaphor with a heartbeat for filling in uh, the loss. And that's what, like like I said a bit earlier, like she, she's falling in love with what Bruce is saying because she understands. And it's kind of, this is what I love about the characters as well, especially this interpretation. They're both broken people and they've both got a problem with duality. And they're open about it. It's no, there's no like, it's there in the themes, obviously, but they're open about it. And he admits he has problems putting them together. He doesn't want to not to be Bruce Wayne. I think deep down they would love to be themselves again, but they just can't. And it's hard reconciling that. Right. And that's kind of what's beautiful and heartbreaking. Talking about this just makes me so emotional. <laughs> and she kisses him, which I love as well. Right. And he's, and again, like even with Vicky and, and just other relationships in his life, he's never had someone aggressively push down the barriers. It's always, you know, a tit for tat and a long chess game. And I think that he is liberated by her as much as she's been liberated by Catwoman. But to, and they're both fitting each other's scars. I love that. Ha <laughs> ha, Gordon. 
<laughs> we found this. <laughs> Good on him, though. Purely circumstantial. <laughs> I love her so much. And he actually has got feelings in this little, you know. I know, like it's a, it's not something that I personally like and prefer in my bruise not the feelings but the the bumbling can't figure it out like you know speed walking across the room to have alfred make an excuse like that all to me is a little too regular joe to average um man for the way i perceive bruce wayne but keaton is selling it because his you know you could tell that his interpretation of the character desperately is like an average Joe, like trying to punch his way out of being Batman, but Batman always wins. And Selena does the same thing. And it's because they're bro broken people. Oh God, sorry. I'll get distracted by these amazing shots. Or the suits. <laughs> I'll wear this one today. <laughs> well, I love it because it, like any other film, would be like, oh, here's just one suit. Whereas it's, it just symbolizes that he goes through this a lot. I mean, Selena has to like put it on in the car. This is the first suit up in these films. Yeah, it is. That's true. I didn't even think about that. No bat ass shot, which, you know, is a point against it, but. Yeah, one day. I love the uh, the design of the set again. I know I mentioned that earlier, but it reminds. If you see the new um, the trailer for Gotham Knights, the game, it seems very inspired by this Gotham. And the way like the, this visually looks, it looks like an actual city. I love that this random circuit's already great with circuitry. <laughs> They've had a lot of time to pick up the necessary skills. Of course they had.
eat floor. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's straight up Adam West, and I love it. Eat floor, Selena. <laughs> High fiber, Robin. You have to have a good fiber intake to fight crime. She's taking it very well for being kidnapped. Oh, bless her heart. Again, this is the sort of movie logic that I love, where it's like, okay, it spins around and it makes a beeping noise. I can believe this can control the Batmobile. Ridiculous. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, hysterical. Batman pushed her. <laughs> I just love the the I, I love it whenever a villain, you know, puts a hat on a hat and like what could be one step takes two or three. So instead of just like, you know, bludgeoning her to death with the batarang or something, he goes this far, you know, to stage the, the pushing and the, all that. And even in the actual murder of the princess he could have just shot her. You know, we know that he has that umbrella. That's just a gun, but instead it's the long dart, with the, the bats. And uh, that's great. This film's very sexual. I love it. Did you notice there's a little cherub there as well? Great little detail. I love this line. Oh, it's gr- that's a that's a great line. Did Timberin write these scripts? I forget who the writer. Look at the, li- look at the little cherub. The screenplay was by Daniel Waters. Well, he should be proud of those lines. He wrote Heathers. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, there's a vibe there for sure. <laughs> I love that. And again, I'm sure some people will be like, how did they get into Bat- the Batmobile? That should be really secure, right? It's like, it's a film. <laughs> Relax. Yeah, and again, I mean, for me, and we'll get into this big time eventually uh, in the next season of, of Batman Returned when we get to Dark Knight Rises. For me, it's all about 
what internal logic have you set up for your universe? Yeah. And chose to make a universe. I said, did I say Dark Knight Returns? I meant Rises. If I said Returns, you know what I meant, people. Nolan. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, the Burton universe is built with a cartoonish quality. It is built with an outlandish quality, a quality that is like 60s Batman, but through Tim Burton's lens. You know, it, it, it doesn't need those explanations of well how does the turny thing you know you said like it's a movie like you believe this thing has a ball that turns clearly it can hack wayne technology that's not the point for these movies when nolan sets up the world that does explain every step then he has created a standard for his own world so those questions are way more applicable uh, to ask i think for fans you know if if it was penguin in a christopher nolan movie and he could just control the Batmobile. That's a world where you can fairly ask that question. But for these, I mean, again, this the impetus for Catwoman is dying and coming back without explanation. At that point, the movie has made it very clear where it stands. Also, can we point out the symbolism of the falling? She mentioned dying. Yeah. So, and again with the patriarchy. So the first person that killed her was Shrek. Yep. Then Batman killed her, dropped her from the roof, albeit unintentionally. And now Cobblepot's done that. Yep. There's something that connects those three. Uh, they were black. <laughs> yes, that's it. Yeah. No, it's it's great symbolism, and and again, like you said, it's specifically falling. It's not like they're beating her to death it's not like you know it's it's through any gadgetry or anything like that it's these falls and it's her descent more and more and more into being catwoman and into her mission and from her point of view in some ways into equivocating these men you know you know saying that they are uh, they're connected through this shared sin even though bruce is unequivocally uh a better man than cobblepot or shrek they are all contributing to her cause for vengeance of course yeah i also love the little uh fairground ride version of the Batmobile that penguin has there actually was a like real life fairground version to the Batmobile. I remember seeing one when I was little, because that's what it always reminds me of. That, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you realise, is a CD-ROM. Um, <laughs> in the nineties, ancient technology. It's not the it's not the last we'll be seeing of the CD-ROM either. Do you remember the big CD-ROM moment? In this film? Yes. I don't believe I do. I I, I was looking forward to... Uh, when you said that, it made me think of Nigma in the next film and all of his uh, brain-on-the-box technology, which is also very <laughs> 90s. Yeah, no, this, this is a very, it's a very great CD scene in this movie. It'll come up soon. I'll use the word DJ, and that's all I'll say. <laughs> what do you think people are thinking? Yeah, right. That's a great line, too. 
It's so good. <laughs> this film's too dark. <laughs> what was it like? To He's be still a child as well. During this film, like he, he must have been having a blast. Everyone who seems to be in these films seems to have like had so much fun. You know, what's interesting is that nowadays, you know, you and I were both so steeped in geek culture uh, that we do a lot of like, oh, watching actor interviews. Like, what did they say about this role? I've never, ever heard Danny DeVito comment on this movie. Not that he hasn't, but I just haven't heard it. And I'd be really interested. Have you really? I love this as well. This is the pre this Batmobile uh, ran. So (laughs) the other one could walk in the dark night. Oh, that's great. Uh, but have you? What what has he? What has Devito said about it? He said a few things. He spoke recently, actually, about Michael Keane returning, which was fun. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I've watched the Blu-ray interviews with like Jack Nicholson talking about Batman and this, and obviously this film as well. And, you know, we'll get to the... Uh... Can we just... Hang on, sorry. Can we talk about the fact that his his ball is called the Max Crate ball? That's pretty great. That's 10 out of 10 punnery right there. Sorry, you were saying? Oh, uh, yeah. I was just going to say that we'll get to, obviously, in a later season of the, of the show, the 66 feature film um, that features four villains and then, you know, two of them are Catwoman and uh, Penguin and we'll be able to trace sort of the lines between their interpretations and the differences. But I think that it's interesting that in the same way that a little bit of the camp of that show persists into these movies, but through a Burton lens that there are elements of the Burgess Meredith penguin present here. Are you ready for the CD scene? I am ready. What a great line as well. This is a very 60s Batman as well, and I love it. <laughs> also, him taking the... Yeah. I challenge all Batman filmmakers from now until the end of time to come up with different ways for him to open and access the cave. <laughs> also, this is, a, this is a great entrance because there's no way you would try it. <laughs> exactly. I love the the Batman, the Bruce Wayne glasses as well. Are you ready for the DJ scene? I'm ready. DJ Alfred. Oh boy.
This is actually quite reflective of this week, actually. <laughs> I don't want to date the episode again, but... He's got a little Batman drive. <laughs> I also think it's, it's only... interesting that I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, and especially in future films, uh, this Keaton Batman is the only one that really flips a villain's tactic on him, you know? Pretty much, yeah. Like manipulating <laughs> the DJ. The, the, yeah, the DJ scratch is hilarious. Look at how satisfied he is. <laughs> and uh, Alfred. Oh, that's great. But yeah, like they to, just, to say they like, his plan with a CD ROM. <laughs> And just with the idea, like, you're going to use, you know, a ruse to make me look bad. We're just going to do the same to you. Mm-hmm. And the way he acts, anyone else would be like, even look Shrek. Yeah, Shrek just walks away. Can you see what I mean about how Penguin abused Catwoman? And so she ne- she neglects him based on what he had got from that power of the capitalism and this all the... You know, that patriarchy thing and here we go again shrek has now abandoned him because he's a lost cause and they're treating him like an animal again although he obviously is a <laughs> right point. and then the the uh the way that you know you said before when he was raging and screaming while uh during the batmobile scene his entire thing is that he never stopped being that abandoned baby and now this has just amplified that times ten thousand. of course yeah the run kills me. And he literally, look, he's physically going back to where he feels like he belongs. And also, you know, it's something that you brought up uh, with a great point in the scene where uh, Vicky Vale in 89 finds out uh, about the Wayne murder and how Bruce, in a lot of ways, still has that child from Crime Alley inside of him. But yeah. Bruce's inner child is fuel for Batman. And that's a segment of his personality. This is that completely unadulterated and put through the worst magnifying glass. 100%. And again, what he says here is true. Like, even though the human world has neglected him again, for good reason, though, to be fair, the penguins will accept him again, which is kind of sweet. Yeah, the penguins, they don't know uh what a freak is they don't know crime they don't know capitalism (laughs) love that too he's now rejecting pretty fucked up plan and it's like you know these films aren't oh they're overt with their themes they're not too overt with religious themes but this is straight out of the bible yes i mean even that first scene with the penguin yeah yeah 
I mean, it, it's Dark Moses and then this right here, you know, the plagues and how he feels like he's going to. I love this guy. Huh? <laughs> how dare you be a human? How dare you have a human <laughs> moment? Uh, but yeah, like his rejection. It's also, uh, sorry, it's also a. Uh, it's a reflection of what happens later on to the penguin. Right. Right. But his rejection of Oswald Cobblepot, you know, something that he had just been able to be for what seemed like a couple of weeks, his rejection of that and his saying, I am an animal, I'm not a human being, the embracing of nature, of, of his nature, the way he was born, you know, ties in well, I think, with the the allusion to the plagues and everything. Like, he sees himself as a force of nature at this point and taking them out is just the way it's going to be. You know, he's past rationalizing. Super freak. This is the scene that I love. I mentioned earlier. One, because like, like I just said, there's a, version, a, a nice version of a super freak playing. <laughs> and two, have you noticed something really important about this scene already? That everyone's in masks except for Batman. Yeah. 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 Well, he's, he is wearing a mask. Yeah, Bruce Wayne, yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite bits of dialogue. Young... Shrek, of course, a cultural appropriator. It fits. <laughs> <laughs> and then Selena comes in. And what is she going to be wearing? Also, I love this uh, Susie in the Banshee song. Do you think that the uh, gala She's not beautiful, scene... Shrek. And Dark Knight Rises is an allusion to this. Yes. It has to yes. be, right? Mm-hmm. I love this sequence so much. This song is, is really great as well. I don't know if you've ever watched the video for this song. It's, it's perfect. I don't think I have. But it's these these two, look at them. They're in love. They they talk to each other. Then the moment they really... Like, everyone in the background is wearing a ludicrous mask. and But the most incredulous ones are the ones that they're wearing right now. And when they realize it, the, their facial reactions and she almost starts to cry it's so good just that i'm gonna be quiet because the dialogue is just incredible Love the double entendres. Yeah. It's so good. I love this so much. Well, you can feel this working like in so many of their comic book appearances together. Mm-hmm. You know, this is very, very, you know, Tom King must have been inspired by this film. It's so heartbreaking when they just click as well on a minute. heartbreaking and the way that bruce is uh, 
try to talk her down. Yeah, yeah. And she thinks that he doesn't... Oh, I love this so much. The acting. They're both broken people, and that's what the whole mental health thing. She's phenomenal. And look at Bruce. The kiss, and then the way that he's trying to talk her down and kiss her and get her to focus. Here we go. Oh, Jesus. And the music changes as well. Oh, boy. That's a great way for them to find out, too. And then they grab each other, and it's just oh. Oh, it's 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 so affecting and a lot of films in the comic book realm come up with really contrived ways for people to find out secret identities but that's a really good one and that's a really great fx shot it is but yeah what, what keaton <laughs> what keaton does there so well in kissing her and trying to talk her down from you know with the gun and everything is that he's not just trying to get selena to stop he's desperately trying to hold on to what he found yeah Hundred percent. I think what's so affecting about this movie is that Tim Burton just delivered a really, really great, empathetic depiction of this sort of, um, you know, these two broken people suffering from mental health issues, and then he follows it up with a giant duck appearing from the ground, and it and it works, <laughs> like it's the same film, and he's got penguins with bombs attached to them. The penguins with bombs are my favorite characters in Burton's universe. <laughs> They are peak and, ridiculous, and I love them. But it's true, like that. Those two scenes don't cancel each other out. They make sense in the exact same universe, right? Especially because he's committed now to being the animal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look how cool they are, and the fact that like it like it retracts and like has make for the entrance. It's it's great. Chip is Chip gives a great idiot face in this movie. He does. <laughs> it's the one thing Shrek actually can't win over. But even then, I don't know if he loves his son just f- in terms of like he loves him because he cares about him. No. Or if it's because it's his legacy. It's entirely legacy. I mean, he to hit like his enterprises with, you know, the the plant that he wants to build and everything like that. That is that's on the same level as his son in his mind. The son is an enterprise. The son is a power plant. Which, you know, we've made allusions to the current, at this time of this recording, the current uh, president of the United States of America. Uh, He has his own chips. He does. He also has his own penguins with bombs as well. I hope not. I want to free them. (laughs) I also love the giant birdcage. Kind of fitting. 
This Jason Mandzukas looking motherfucker. <laughs> I just saw a shop hat, a hat shop with a green looking display. Should we just make that hand, head cannon? That's the mad hat. I, I would like to. Just imagine, you know, if Burton had gotten his hands on that character. I kind of want to see Batman punch a monkey. <laughs> Gorilla Grodd confirmed. Oh, shit. Flash movie. You might get your I wish. Love, I love this. I love this. <laughs> this look. That's the kind of theatricality I love in a Batman. Me too. Sending a note to the villain with stationery <laughs> on a Batman paper. The spotlight. <laughs> this is so cool. Oswald Cobblepot walked so General Hux could run. <laughs> Upon which we stand. <laughs> or the penguin starts saluting. <laughs> there, yep, that's true. Oh, he's a feminist. His re- his realization to destroy the patriarchal <laughs> constructs happened when he was an animal, unfortunately. A lot of the penguins get it. They're like, yeah, we'll die for this cause. <laughs> yeah. This isn't as ludicrous when you find out that actually, like, America and stuff did actually apply weapons and stuff to things like dolphins. That, that tracks for America. His little cockney jilt there. This is what I love about uh, these films as well. They introduce a new bat vehicle. But I think this is uh, this and forever. Then it went to the bat boat, right? I believe so. Yeah. Aside from '66. Again, this is a film which has deep set uh, themes about how the patriarchy is bad, how capitalism is bad, and it also has the phrase. The penguins are moving above ground, and it just makes sense. Also, I don't know if you noticed, but that just said don't walk, so the penguins are actually committing a crime right now. Of jaywalking. <laughs> the first of many crimes. I love this woman's voice. Phenomenal. <laughs> I love his wry smile. And the little, uh, he's got a radar noise that makes penguin noises. If you play Arkham Knight as well, if you get the 89 um, missions, there actually is a racetrack that makes you drive up around like that. It's so good. 
Oh, that's awesome. I think that if I could have a toy from these two Burton films, I would want a full-size penguin with rocket pack or with bomb That'd pack. That'd be great. I think you can actually get like Lego versions of it. That's great. I love that there's a sort of pseudoscience behind this as well. Like the idea that there's some sort of radio signal that he's using. That Bruce uh, and Alfred r- react with. <laughs> these guys, I can't believe he got a penguin radar sound. He's committed, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, so there must be some sort of frequency that's telling the penguins to do this, which I kind I, of like. Yes, I was about to say I like that too because it's him. Like, yeah, they accepted him when he was a baby because they are animals and because they just took care of a young creature. But he has perverted them, you know, through artificial means, mm-hmm. and he's tried to force nature to do what he thinks it is. You know, he says, "I am not a human anymore." He's trying to force everything to fit that paradigm that he just decided that he wasn't human therefore he's the animal therefore he's the leader and they should just do what he would do these evil acts but they're not they're natural creatures yeah they're not hateful and he's not a natural creature you know and he he he's whatever he thinks in his mind an animal is and what i like about batman using the frequency against him is that it adds, you know, it, obviously Batman can restore the order of things, but also from Oswald's point of view, Batman has turned his family against him. For sure. I also like the idea of like Shrek can't use his money or influence to get out of everything. Yeah. Yeah, when villains in Gotham throughout the interpretations don't react to the greed and the capitalism. It's always a, a, a powerful theme, I think. You know, we see that, of course, with Heath's Joker burning the money and all that. And now this family is abandoning him. Name a more iconic battle than Duck Boat versus Bat Boat. <laughs> <laughs> It's got wheels. It's fantastic. (laughs) 
It's an interesting thesis that Oswald just threw out there. Yeah. Something to think about for sure. I mean, for people watching along, obviously, you know, you, you may have chosen to just listen to this as a podcast, but he says that Batman is jealous because, you know, he has to create the Batman identity, uh, essentially, and Oswald is a real freak. And I think that real realness and authenticity is sort of at the root of Oswald's decision making. You know, he wanted to be a real a real boy, essentially, you know, the Pinocchio syndrome. Yeah, for sure. But all he could be is a real animal. And and Batman, you know, says that it's that it might be true, but He has conflictions. Yeah. It's the duality of it all. Because, you know, in Batman's mind, it would be easier if he was a big bad creature, you know, if he didn't feel the pull of Bruce Wayne. And also, like, he isn't killing Penguin here. Got him. <laughs> Selena's revenge on Shrek is the best. It's awesome. Those small improvements to the bat suit, man, they really make a difference. Right. By the way, uh, my favorite look of selena is this with the hair out it's so good yeah again look he's he thinks that he can get out of anything money jewels he doesn't understand it's the same with what we're talking about about other people yeah He thinks that there's some way out of it still, and that's just not the case. I love this line. Catwoman's not wrong either. No, she's not. There is a a naivete that... A naivete in, in the concept of Batman that has been pointed out more and more and more over the years. I love this again. The reflection in the mirror. He's also being naive naive about their state of health and their mental health as well. It's heartbreaking. This scene is just incredible. This is the other favorite scene of this film that I just love. We're the same split right down the center is my favorite line. I love it so much. It's so heartbreaking. Also, the infamous eyeliner disappear. Which, you know what? It's a film. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> it's also this film. You know, it would it bother me much more in a Nolan movie or a Matt Reeves movie. 
and this music as well so beautiful and just and what Selena says about the like the living in the castle and stuff is just so spot on Also, it's interesting that, oh, I know. Oh, it's so dark. So heartbreaking. Slayer Kyle, you're fired. <laughs> it's so fucking such a dick. You're fired. <laughs> I love this line. Because <laughs> he is Batman, you moron. <laughs> I like that this Batman has to rip the cow to take it off. Yeah. He's such a... He's the main villain of the film. And I love this supernatural concept because it's like, fuck you. Like, you think you can get away with it and you just can't. Yep. And he doesn't understand it. Again, using the, sex, using the sexuality and the, you know, yeah, and God it, damn it, and the the taser. I mean, it it ties back to the first moment where she just brushed with being liberated, where she just brushed with taking power back. She's combined it now with her final move. You're right. Yeah, she's liberated herself. And Bruce was still trying to save her, and I think that was his issue. Like he, he realizes that he can't even save himself. So, the green blood is such a gross detail. Is it? I guess it's kind of blood because he's got red blood as well. Black, but... green, yeah. yeah. And this is really sweet. It's what we said about earlier about the whole rejection of the family. Like, not only did Shrek leave him, his parents left him, the circus left him, but the penguins never left leave him. He really he sees Bruce is trying to save Selena no matter what. Um, and then the penguins just sort of lay him to oh, what a gruesome death! <laughs> what a great design! So Burtony. And Danny Elfman, man, that's a it's a beautiful, beautiful shot. And what about <laughs> what about that symbolism? Thinking he's going for the gun one, and then it ends up being the baby bassinet. Yeah, that he is the baby, and he's about to go out in the sewers, in the water, the way his parents intended to kill him. And the penguins, what they do, it's really, it's, it's sad, but it's sweet. No, they're the best characters in the movie. They're still there for him. Look. They're pure of heart.
and you got to think that on a level, Bruce understands the power of this moment as someone who also lost family. Yes. Although he doesn't have this relationship with the bats that we know <laughs> yeah. of. I know, I know people say this is silly, but I love this so much. There are plenty of silly things in this movie that I feel like it doesn't stand out as egregious like it would in another piece. Again, the fact that he became this self-perpetuating prophecy you know that is the way you were supposed to die as a baby your parents threw you in there and you had what is it 33 years that he's been gone yeah 33 by the way the age of christ so that's another thing uh all right Zack snyder <laughs> well i'm just saying hey man they threw it in uh oh god i love this ending by the way look how sad he looks But yeah, you know, he had 33 years to choose a better path, and he ended up exactly where he should have died. And Bruce learns from this, meeting with Catwoman, for the better. He still has hope. Oh, I love this version of Bruce Wayne so much. It's not like he's just going to reject the cat, he looks after it. Also, just to summarize the patriarchy theme, there's a line that's about to come up between Bruce and Alfred, which I think does a really good job at capping up. And he keeps the cat. I love him taking it in because it represents that he's now open to accepting more. It's not just, you know, the isolated incident of Vicky, the isolated incident of Selena. Now he's willing to accept a little more into his life in terms of being a caregiver, in terms of having companionship you know the the themes of animal companionship in this movie this music and cats this music and this piece of dialogue is just so great And of course, it wouldn't be a Batman Burton film without an amazing ending shot and silhouette. That is a great shot. Great shot, strong ending. And again, the... the even though there was never a follow-up before, we're living in a different world now. And the themes that, you know, for people that are you know paying attention to the dialogue and her, the, the progression of her events, she's on her last life now. But it's a, the last life is the first life without the vengeance quest. Mm-hmm. What can there be for her now? You know, true liberation. She's finally found. Um, and Bruce, again, now being open, you know, it's interesting that 
Burton toyed with the ideas. You know, we know this now. He toyed with having Robin in this film uh, played by Marlon Wayans. Marlon Wayans literally cast, literally wore a costume, st- gets paid for this movie. I've also for Batman, uh, Batman Forever. Um, I believe I, I believe that because Burton was going to do Batman Forever first. Yeah, maybe in his version and then Schumacher went with O'Donnell, perhaps. Um, I think that was the case, yeah. But regardless, I mean, what Bergen set up there at the end is interesting in terms of, you know, Bruce now being open to caregiving and stuff like that and to, well, opening up his heart a little bit more uh, in smaller ways that now I can believe that the Keaton Bruce would take on a protege. Absolutely, which is why when he appears in the Flash film, it's not going to be the out of character for him. No. And again, what what has happened now for this version? Because, yeah, of, yeah, the understanding is that Val Kilmer and George Clooney are the Keaton Bruce. Um, they are supposed to be the same world. But going back to Keaton specifically, uh, I think is going to reclaim all four and tie them up in the bow of Burton. I, you know, I think it's going to I don't think we're going to have reference to the fact that he has fought Riddler and Freeze and things like that. I think that it'll sort of be a Superman return situation where that the Keaton we're about to see, you know, not to date this too much, but that will uh, be a sequel ish situation to this. Yeah, I think it's a multiverse theory. So the idea is that one world is Batman return, uh, Batman, Batman returns and then unknown until flash. But then you could also say that the Schumacher world was Batman, Batman Returns, and then Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. Yeah, yeah. Which, be in my head, like makes a... perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, that that's sort of the Abrams Star Trek of it all, you know? Like, there's a splinter yeah, point sure. in, in what happened. Um, but overall, I gotta say, you know, I, I was tweeting during this, uh, as I know you were, and, you know, we were, we were you know, just enjoying this one. Uh, I enjoyed this not only much more than Returns, I mean, much more than 89, but more than I ever thought I could enjoy this movie because 89 used to frustrate me in different ways. And it still kind of does as being, I think, you know, not as strong of a story or as a character thing with Joker and things like that. This movie, I mean, what you and, and, and having me watch this again, unlocked with all of these themes, this is a movie that I think needs to be revisited by comic book movie fans as adults like this has to be watched again as an adult there's so many things to pick up on here that make it so much stronger and uh i i have not had i think a reversal of opinion i mean even from the get i mean we talked about it before so it's a little bit difficult so i knew going in that i was in for some themes that i already enjoy but this is legit i mean it's it's not the batman flavor that i ultimately prefer and it's not you know, none of these versions, except maybe Catwoman, are my versions of the characters. Um, but it, is, but but great credit song, by the way. But it's um, <laughs> it's strong. I mean, uh, I'm I'm ready to get into Forever again, but this might be a challenging Forever now for this quadrilogy of movies. I'm so glad to hear that actually, because this genuinely is my favorite Batman film, and. It means such. It means so much to me. Like when I tweet about it, I'm not just tweeting about it for the sake of it. It genuinely is a moving, 
piece of art for me and i feel like it's just so well done and that that sort of the symbolism between bruce and selena is so good in fact one of the things i'm worried about with the keaton batman return is that i'm worried that it won't be the same without burton um which is interesting i, I truly do hope that he ended up with selena in my mind they did at least yeah um, i hope so i mean that would be that would be the even if it's a cameo it would be the cameo to end all cameos you know and in the way that this world can continue. I mean, at the end of this one, uh, it's such a shame that we haven't ever gotten the proper follow-up. I mean, there was supposed to be a comic that was supposed well, to be the continuation from Returns. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I really love is that in the uh, the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover for the TV series, mm-hmm. there was a uh, Gotham Gazette newspaper, which they printed out and it was like taken those photos of it taken on set um and we see Knox from the first film read it but we don't actually see the headline right uh and i'll i'll send you a picture of it if i can but the, the behind the scenes picture of that we never actually got to see on the screen was the Gotham City Gazette with the headline Wayne Tech CEO Bruce Wayne to marry socialite Selena Kyle oh it's fantastic which means that they Sorry. probably did this dance for years and years and years before they finally settled down together. Well, yeah, or that, or if it's an old, because it's the picture is of uh, Michael Keaton, obviously, when he was in one of the first two films. Mm. So maybe they like, yeah, married up afterwards, or I'd like to, because obviously we know that there's some sort of a, a better relationship between the TV and the film department people. Um, right. It would be nice to see if that is reflected. And it's it's interesting that it frames it as socialite Selena Kyle because it implies that she she built a life, yeah. That she she was able to to work her way up and and find some sort of happiness and tie in with that theme of I want to live with you in your castle, which is such a and sad then, line. That yeah, the the split right down the center is something that I I think we could talk about like all mental health in general and stuff and like events affecting you and for me personally i'll talk about this in depth maybe in the arc or something but um also another episode perhaps but just that whole bit piece of dialogue just really hits me right. um it's such a great it's just a great scene uh but to wrap this up because we've been going for a little while i want to ask you the same questions i asked you last time which was before you watch this film again how would you have rated this film I think for 89 I said like a 5 or something. For this one I would have given it like I think a like a like a, a 3 or 4 as a Batman movie and probably a 5 as a Burton movie uh because this one is distinctly two beasts in my mind, but I think that overall I mean this one is sitting, you know, in that that 8ish category right now for what it is. You know, I think that contextually um you know, you've talked about this you know, on social media and just to me, you know, you and I as friends talking all the time that the advent of modern comic book movies and their approach, especially with DC and Warner going for multiverse, is that nothing offends in the same way. Nothing, nothing that isn't your particular taste hits because they've all sort of in the context of the mission statement of the company become alt takes that mm-hmm. the main take is sort of up to you. I always had a resentment i think toward 
the Burton ones as the bedrock of Batman movies because they were treated that way. And they are still a little bit historically. I mean, the contributions of this movie, like the villain formula and the sympatheticness and the villain being right, things that we touched on in this conversation. But I don't look at them in the same way as like, they're the originals and therefore they have an importance. You know, it's not like the original Star Wars trilogy. This is just an alternate take. And I can accept now more that I'm older in my mid 20s that Burton was doing his thing. And for his thing, uh, I think this one is the the far better of the two. And it was a really enjoyable movie. And I do find it interesting, like the whole um, notion of like, this is a dark film when retrospectively it is got very funny comedy uh, comedy segments now obviously you know Danny DeVito is a great comedy actor um, it's got some great setups and the, the sort of the darker more emotional themes are there for sure it's a Burton film of course but when you compare it to like some of the Nolan stuff that kids slap up I just don't think it deserves that it's not right. a Dark Knight Returns level um, but I'm proud that I seem to have boosted you from a 3 to an 8 no, I mean, like it's and again, like the number stuff is hard for me because I, I typically don't do it. But just the like I now get people's particular fascination with Returns because Returns has its own fandom independent of Burton in general, independent of Batman 89. Returns has always had a very special place in many people's hearts. You hear all the time that it's people's favorites. You hear all the time that it's a, a must see for people uh, in their Christmas rotation things like that. And I, I get a lot more of that now. And, and again, like I will preface to people, a lot of this is me coming around on things. The thing that I have always loved was Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. And my God, do I love her five, 10 times as much now? Cause now I get the themes as an adult, you know, as a kid, you're not thinking about patriarchy and capitalism and institutionalized sexism and the, the reclaiming of sexuality, all of those things, it's almost astonishing that they were being done in a 1990s comic book movie. Absolutely. Um, I'm just yeah, so glad that you liked that. And I do have a challenge for you, actually. I'm ready. And that is to watch the film again around Christmas time. Yeah, I feel like that's a must do. Um, I also want to do a quick shout out. Uh, Rosie Knight, who's an amazing journalist, uh, she wrote a really great article called Why Batman Returns is a Magical Christmas Movie uh, for Nerdist. Uh, I'll link that into the Patreon uh, description and stuff. Nice. Read that because it's yeah. really good. Um, and Rosie's and it great. Sort of up, yeah, it sums up how I feel about the film as well. It's like, it's just the perfect little bubble movie. Um, and it works in terms of like the sequel to Batman and Batman Returns together. It's a great watch. But. It just takes everything from the first film, the stuff that doesn't work, and it improves it, and the stuff that does work, it just really hammers it in. Um, But yeah, that's all we've got time for this week. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, We'll be back next time when uh, me and Alden put on some green brain boxes, shove our faces into the television, and uh, (laughs) watch a a 40-year-old man (laughs) and his two parents do some trapezing. Batman? Batman, you say? Coming here. (laughs) I love Jim Carrey's Riddler. He's just perfect. Oh, man. I'm excited about it. But thanks, everyone, for listening. This this has been an interesting one, for sure. The most goth that we will get uh, in this show, I believe. Yeah, next time we get more ham. Um, Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. See ya.